，鬼岛之音 ，Ghost Island Media。Waste not, why not is scientifically proven to help listeners escape from environmental hell. The time is now, sinners. Pull yourself and your buddies out of endless carbon offset purchases and doom scrolling on climate Twitter. That's right, we just call that hell. For three United States dollars a month, you can become a patron saint to our podcast. This money will go to continuing the show. The show must go on, listeners. Help us help you help yourselves. Let's see if we can get fifty of you lost souls to donate three dollars a month. If we get fifty subscribers to donate just three dollars a month, we will have a live sermon here in Taipei, Taiwan, and we'll also set up a small. Camera, so you can join if you are not here physically. Donate at Patreon.com/slash/WasteNotWhyNot. That's WasteNotWhyNot, one word. Hey guys, I heard you liked my first Nate take on K-pop and anime's carbon goals. That wasn't it, but you can go listen to the episode if you didn't hear it. And we decided to do more. And hopefully they'll be on time in the future because this one's slightly delayed. But it's here, another Nate take. Solar in the time of COVID. All right, play the take. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Go. Hi, I'm Nature Nate, and this is Waste Not Why Not, a sustainability science show on how not to save the environment. I'm an environmental researcher based in Taiwan, working on energy, ocean, and waste issues. You know, in the environmental world, reports are kind of like quantum, like Schrodinger's cat. You know, they matter and they don't. They describe the world and they don't. And for the energy world, the ultimate report in there is the IEA Energy Outlook. And so many people were looking forward to it. And by so many people, I mean. Twenty energy nerds were looking forward to it this year because of the, the pandemic, right? That, that changed everything because we had all these assumptions about how the world worked. And like ten years ago, we made all these commitments to energy and the environment, and now it's 2020, and we can think about where those commitments have led us and where things are going. And spoiler alert: solar is the cheapest energy in history, in some cases. But before we get into some of the highlights that I read through, because you're too busy to read through it, I read through it. I wanted to give you some context about the organization that makes the report, the International Energy Agency. They're based in Paris. <laughs> I really wanted to make a French joke, but I won't. <laughs> I shouldn't keep laughing and saying that. The International Energy. <laughs> 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 okay, okay, I, I had to say it. <laughs> the International Energy Agency is based in Paris, and it was established by the OECD, which is another. Alphabet soup. The OECD is basically the global north. It's all the rich countries who got together and made an international organization to tell them about themselves. They made the IEA, and they made it right after the oil crisis, which we'll get back to in a second. But the IEA's broad mandate is to focus on the three E's of effectual energy policy: energy security, energy development, and environmental protection. But if you talk about energy and you mean environmental protection, you really basically just mean climate change. So their role is broadly to promote alternative energy. So just anything not fossil fuel. And getting back to the oil crisis when they were established in 1973, 1974, the world realized that at some point we would run out of oil. This caused two things to happen. One, 
it made the world suddenly think about alternative energy sources in a very serious way. The other thing it did is it made the United States obsessed with energy independence, which led to today's, or well, the past 10 years of really aggressive fracking and really aggressive domestic oil production because it made the U.S. terrified that it would rely on energy sources outside of its borders for security reasons. So that's the context that the IEA comes from. You know, the IEA is not like, a, we love solar and wind energy. They're like, a, we're old and we study energy group. So if they say something, it's probably going to be pretty conservative. And that kind of leads into my next and last big point before I get into the details of the report. And that's that the IEA has basically consistently underestimated solar energy forever. They've underestimated it so egregiously that a group of energy researchers wrote an article about it the underestimated potential of solar energy to mitigate climate change. And in there they write, quote, Between 1998 and 2010, the International Energy Agency has repeatedly predicted PV, photovoltaic, annual growth of 16 to 30 percent, far below the actual. Okay, that sentence is, I think, more profound than you might realize, because for 12 years, the energy agency underestimated solar, and it was only in 2012 that they predicted that solar would experience 32% growth. And they said that after five years, that would level off. Well, that is absolutely not what happened. Solar has grown almost exponentially, you know, in the past 20 years. And solar continues to grow. Spoiler alert for some of the headline findings of the IA Energy Outlook this year. Solar is the cheapest energy in history, in some cases. So in this context, think about the IEA as Joe Biden of energy analysis. You know, it took a long time, but eventually... Uncle Joe got on board with the Green New Deal, similar to the IEA. It took them, you know, 22 years, but they finally got on board with solar energy. Okay, so let's get into some of the interesting things that we find in this report. First off, just to say it again, because I should say it louder for those in the back, solar projects now offer some of the lowest cost electricity in history. In history, that's right. Some places, putting a solar panel is just cheaper than burning coal ever was. That's nuts. That's something that when I first started doing the old environmental trade, we didn't think would happen for a long time. So solar being the cheapest energy in history is a huge deal because a major argument that was used against the development of solar and renewable energy period is that it was too expensive. If energy is too expensive, it's going to hurt business because products are more expensive and the poor people can't afford their power bill. I mean, those are, those are actually legitimate concerns, but... Now, with this report summarizing that solar is the cheapest in history, it really just puts, I hope, the last nail in the coffin of the renewable energy is too expensive excuse train. It was probably never really true, if you think about it, because when we reduce pollution, we're creating secondary economic benefits in the form of reduced carbon emissions, in the form of improved ecosystem health. Pollution control almost always pays for itself. And in hindsight, it seems obvious, right? Like, the sun, is literally just a gigantic fusion reactor in space that just blasts us with radiation. Everything is solar-powered. Oil and coal are just ancient solar energy. It makes perfect sense to base our economy around the sun because it's the source of all our life. It's like a god. Except for a deep-sea ecosystem. They get their energy from geothermal vents. So just acknowledging deep-sea ecosystems. We have to hold space for them. <laughs> The IEA also covered this kind of section about interesting things we observed. For example, will oil companies become renewable investors? Because, you know, I think I talked about B 
BP before, British Petroleum. They said, we're going to be carbon neutral and we're going to invest in renewable energy. And, you know, Shell and Chevron and Exxon and all the ONS, all the oil companies say, we're going to invest in renewables. So the IEA looked at this and they found that renewable energy growth will be driven largely by oil companies in regions where there are policy targets to reduce carbon emissions. And therefore, European companies are projected to make up 95% of the renewable energy capacity growth of oil majors through 2025. Translating this into human speak, oil companies will invest in renewables when the government makes them do it. They will not do it of their own choice, which makes sense because that's like, if you sell hammers, that's like someone telling you to draw pictures of the sun. It's not your specialty. The other exciting thing and the thing that absolutely has to happen is that renewables are on track to account for 95% of the net increase in global power capacity through 2025. This is what we want to see. This means that it's maybe not happening fast enough, but the policies that we've set in place and the goals for renewable energy seem to be working. That doesn't mean we've solved all of our environmental problems, but it seems like we're able to transition. Is it fast enough? Who knows? Probably not. Actually, we do know. It's probably not fast enough, but it seems like it's happening. So let's get into some of the, uh, the spicy bullet points or the bullet points that I thought were spicy, which is a white person might not mean anything. Um, so like I was saying, the main purpose of this year's IEA report was to show how COVID impacted alternative energy development. And this is, this is something really interesting the report goes into. Energy demand, period, dropped all around the world. And that seems to be broadly beneficial for renewable energy. Europe and India foresee renewable surges in 2021 because of bottlenecking from COVID. They had all this other stuff going on, so they couldn't build their renewable energy projects. So in 2021, expect to see more renewable energy projects even beyond this year because things got slowed down, permitting, offices shut down, stuff like that. So there's all these projects that are kind of bundled up. But at the same time, a huge percentage of renewable energy period is built by China. And many of China's tax credits are set to expire by the end of this year. And further, China is changing their renewable energy policy to switch from a feed-in tariff model, which is paying per unit of electricity, to switching to bids and auctions. Because China wants to kind of get away from just this, like, insane subsidization they've been doing of renewable energy. So there was this whole meme when COVID first started that, oh, because we're not driving to work and there's no more stuff going on, the world's going to be green. Well, the IEA looked at that. Comparing April 2020 to April 2019, they found that power consumption had fallen by 5% in the U.S., 12% in Germany, 18% in Spain, and 23% in India. And it turns out that this is kind of a win, a win for wind and solar because we have policies in place that lock in a certain amount of usage for renewable energy, either contracts that require a company to buy renewable energy to set price, or the fact that it doesn't take very much to turn on a wind turbine, you just let it spin. And it doesn't take very much to turn on a solar panel, you just reconnect it to the grid. So that meant that when the power changed frequently, it was actually more useful to have renewable energy. Because otherwise, with like a coal plant or natural gas plant or nuclear power reactor, you have to plan in advance when you want to turn them on. It takes time to spin up the turbines, you have to load the right amount of fuel, but wind and solar, it turns out, are relatively flexible, which is not what so many critics had said for a long time. And this is my personal speculation that was not written in the report, but it seems like COVID is an example of a future world where we use less energy, period, where we either have degrowth, less industry, period, or we have energy efficiency, it seems like renewables are going to give us a better grid. But that will require some investments.
So globally, total installed wind and solar is set to surpass natural gas in 2023 and coal in 2024 in terms of capacity. That's not the same thing as generation, but even having that high of capacity is great. And then they say that renewables are going to supply one-third of global electricity by 2025. Half of that is going to come from hydropower, though. So, you know, it's not all wind and solar. It's also big spooky dams. Onshore wind is expected to slow down in U.S. and China as they're pushed to meet policy deadlines from 2018 and 2019. So in the future, we're going to see onshore wind in places that are going to keep developing it, like the middle of the U.S., perhaps China. But the real big thing is going to be offshore wind because we never really, you know, had the technology down, the supply chain. Until very recently, we never really figured out how to build wind turbines offshore. And it's so much better to build them offshore because they can be so much bigger. And when they're bigger, they can generate more energy. And, and the, these things are enormous. Like offshore wind turbines are huge. It's big, but it's, it, it's in the ocean. It's far away, so it looks small, but it's big. Let's talk about China. So a really funny thing in the IEA report is that they said China's historical last quarter deployment which ranges from 7 gigawatts to 15 gigawatts, does, however, improve a major portion of the 2020 PV forecast uncertainty. So it's just funny to me that, like, they don't know if China's solar development was 7 gigawatts or 15 gigawatts. And by the way, a gigawatt is, like, an enormous amount of energy. One gigawatt is 3 million solar panels. A gigawatt is, like, a big person number. Like, if you say... Like, we're going to add a kilowatt hour. No one cares about that. If you said we're going to add, like, a megawatt of solar, okay, cool. If you're going to add a gigawatt of solar, damn, you're serious. That's a serious business number. Most coal plants have a capacity of 500 megawatts. So there's, like, two coal plants in a gigawatt. So they're not sure if China produced 30 new coal plants worth of solar power or just 14. How do you not know? Anyway... U.S. solar PV, on the other hand, is expected to increase by almost 17 gigawatts in 2020. So why, why did solar increase? In many cases, it was because of something called renewable portfolio standards. It's not just that there's lower costs from solar because of consolidation in the industry, economies of scale, and tax incentives. It's also these standards which require your power provider to give you a certain amount of renewable electricity, in this case, solar. So it's like you're an art student and you have a portfolio of artwork and your teacher says, I need 20% of your artwork to be of the sun. You're not, the teacher's not paying you, but you have to do it. So you can draw whatever you want for the 80%, but for the 20%, you have to draw the sun. And what happens is over time, you get pretty good at drawing the sun. That even after your teacher no longer requires you to draw the sun, you're like, actually, this is really easy to do. I'm just going to draw tons of suns. But there's another problem. If you draw too many suns, the, the grid can't handle it. There's no way to keep the metaphor going. The metaphor can't handle it. The metaphor can't handle this kind of renewable energy. If you draw too many suns. <laughs> if you draw too many suns, you break the metaphor. You need to have a, an energy storage metaphor, which is like your parents' house. Your parents' house can fit a lot more of your solar pictures. Okay. And that's how you can pretend to know what's going on when an electrical engineer talks to you. So the, la the last, I mean, the, the re this report covers so much. I, I'm just trying to pull out the things that interested me and that I think would interest you. And, you know, kind of the last thing with renewable energy is like, it's cheap, dope. It works. It stops climate change. People care about it now. But what happens when we have too much? And this is called curtailment. If you want to hear a little bit more about curtailment, 
We talk about this with Antonio on batteries in episode 30, but you know, in brief, curtailment is what occurs when we generate so much renewable energy or there's renewable energy that can be used on the grid and it's wasted, basically. It's not allowed to go on the grid. So we want to be able to match electricity supply and demand, and curtailment happens because there's a mismatch. This year, over 250 terawatt hours of variable renewable electricity was curtailed. That's nearly the equivalent of Spain's entire electricity demand. We wasted one Spain. That could have avoided 3% of U.S. emissions in 2018. In China, they fixed their curtailment problem by building new transition lines and discouraging new installations in the middle of nowhere. But it's not just China. It's not just like a dictatorship thing. There were record curtailment levels reached in California too. Well, some people think California is a dictatorship, but they're insane. Um, so new record of curtailment was reached in California in 2020 with the system operator curtailing 318 gigawatt hours in April. California added one gigawatt of wind and solar capacity from May 2019 to March 2020. So basically, California was generating record amounts of renewable energy, but there was also a massive load drop of around 8% during the COVID lockdowns, just as solar output was peaking. So California wasted all this energy because there was no storage, there was nowhere to put this energy. So California needs to think about how they're going to build out their smart grid to cope with all these renewables that they're adding. It's not just a China problem. It's not just a California problem. This is a problem that everyone has to face. And this is what the report is trying to say as well. We're adding all these renewables. They're cheaper than ever. We also need to design our grid in such a way that we can use this energy that we create. Because it doesn't matter if you have a gazillion wind turbines, if it doesn't match with the energy, if it doesn't match with the design of the electricity system, it's not going to matter. And that's a good problem to have, frankly, because we can redesign our grid. That's possible to do. That's an engineering problem. It's not a political will problem necessarily. I'm not an electrical engineer. Okay. <laughs> So a lot of this IEA report kind of confirms what, you know, we kind of suspected, right? Like it seems, obviously in hindsight, it seems intuitive that renewables would do better when there's an uncertain electricity market because they're easy to turn on and off. We knew that there was all this momentum for renewable energy, but it's good to have the IEA, which is sort of this centrist energy authority reporting on this. You know, we can't sleep on the power of reinforcement. Not everyone is just this crazed futurist who wants the world to run on wind and solar and geothermal. A lot of people are normal. A lot of people have invested money into the old system. So if you're going to tell them to, you know, basically threaten their future livelihood, you have to give them a good reason to do so. And this IA report is one such reason. If someone asks you what the IA report was about, you can tell them that solar electricity in some parts of the world is the cheapest in history that energy reductions from the COVID lockdown did not really harm renewable energy development, that renewable energy development is going to outpace fossil fuel development by 2025. This is a modestly optimistic thing to know, and that things like the Green New Deal or COVID economic recovery plans that focus on renewable energy aren't just wishful thinking. They're actually smart and savvy economic policy. Your weird uncle obsessed with the free market can finally care about renewable energy. If you want, you can read the IEA report. It's pretty cool. They make it pretty accessible. But it, it took me some time to just get this. So we'll put a link to it in the description in case you want to read it and fact check me. <laughs> That's it for this day's Nate Take. Happy recent holiday.
I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not Why Not podcast, recorded at Future Ward, a co-working space in Taipei, Taiwan. Do you have questions for us? Tweet them at us. We are at Waste Not Pod on Twitter, and our DMs are open. Give us a good rating to let us know you really care. This has been a Ghost Island Media production. This episode was produced by Yu Chun Lai, myself, Nature Nate. Our executive producer is Emily Y. Wu, edited by Yu Chun Lai. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. This episode was barely written and fully hosted by Nature Nate. <laughs> Drawing Pictures of the Sun, episode 37. <laughs>